On this week's Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about B2B marketing. We'll be talking about why so many B2B campaigns just lack creativity and how B2B marketing needs to embrace creativity to cut through. I'm joined by Ian Blake, founder of Square Dot, to talk about B2B marketing on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing, where I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Blake, who's the founder of Square Dot. Welcome, Ian. Thanks very much, Dave. Delighted to be here. Before we get started, how is business? We're having a quick chat off mic, but how's business going for you? Business is good right now. Um, a bit like we were we were chatting. People at the beginning of the pandemic, people didn't know what to do. You know, there was a there was a bit of a fall off in in work um, early in the pandemic. But as things got back together late last year and early this year, there's been a definite uptick in 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 business for us. We serve the B two B tech sector, so a lot of our clients are facilitating remote working. Um, are you know implementing uh, cybersecurity solutions for their for their clients, and as a result, they're flying. You know, mm. um, they're also I suppose focusing on their online presence and investing in marketing. That's been good for us um, yeah. since the beginning of this year. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, so and we're, we're, we'll have a chat. I mean, towards the end, we might just have a chat about about your business and just to kind of give listeners a bit more insight in that. But. I think now we're going to kick off um, because you wrote an article that's in today's Irish Times and it's called Putting, putting the, the Brand Back in Business. So in that article, it, it touches on something that has come up before. We've chatted about it a lot in this podcast and it's not quite that because you're B2B, but it's the importance of investing in the long term and investing in brand um, and brand building. So we're going to talk about your B2B survey that you published, which is great. I really enjoyed it. There's loads of insights. Now we're going to talk about that in a minute, but let's kick things off because one, of one of the key findings, I think, in your article was that... Um, you said that although most of Ireland's top B2B marketeers are in agreement that investing in brands should be a top priority for 2021, the reality is that for the majority of those marketers, it's just not happening. So can you give me, just give me a few numbers to provide some context? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was probably the most insightful set of numbers that came from the survey, which were uh, for Irish B2B marketeers, brand building was listed in the survey as a top priority. Um, but other information in the survey suggests that they aren't necessarily doing anything about it. And, and what I mean by that is uh, 71% of them said they already have a well-defined uh, brand positioning strategy, which is a brilliant start. But then it goes a little bit pear-shaped when 35% of them consider themselves, or only 35% of them consider themselves very or completely different from their competition. Only 6% said they're delivering creative campaigns. Right. Uh, was one of the top five priorities. And over a third allocate less than 20 percent of their budgets to long-term brand building. So, you know, building their brand is a priority. Right. They build. They they build the foundation. I.e., you know, that is, they have a a positioning strategy in place. The numbers from the survey suggest that they don't use that foundation, the positioning strategy, as a foundation to build to build the brand. Right. Um, and you know, like advertise the distinctiveness or invest in long-term brand building or or creative. Yeah. Um, and we see it again. I know when I'm interested to try and un maybe understand some of the difference between the, the nuances between B2C and B2B. But and I think that the pressures are probably quite similar. So when we think about the B2B um, marketing community in Ireland, um, like, I mean, everyone's under pressure. But what are the, what are some of the pressures that, that you found when you've been talking to? Because you're deep in, the, in that sector. That's what you focus on. So 
what pressures are, are they under and are those pressures or what are the things that might, you know, stop them? If they all agree that brand building is really important, but yet, and they do a little bit of, like they got positioning statements done, but they're just not kind of bringing that through. What's stopping them? What are the pressures that they're under at the moment? Yeah, so well, from the survey, the pressures were that 52% of them saw an increased reliance on the marketing department. And I'm getting that from conversations I'm having with B2B marketeers and industry experts where they're saying there's a big increase in the reliance on mar- of marketing, especially after COVID hit. So uh, traditionally, B2B tech sales relied heavily on face-to-face meetings and relationships with account managers and sales execs. Uh, but COVID brought an immediate disappearance of the face-to-face meetings and events. So sales reliance on marketing increased. Um, the creation of content and webinar delivery uh, increased to support sales. Um, and in addition, COVID magnified the importance of B2B companies' digital presence. And one of the respondents in the survey said, a company's digital elements have to be world-class, improve website performance and data capture along with increased social media presence. There's a huge reliance on marketing from an employer brand perspective too. We need to be seen as a digital first company in order to attract top, new top talent. Mm. And, you know, this is, this is the same for a lot of companies. So these two elements, you know, it's, you know, supporting sales because they can't do what they used to do, right. you know, press the flesh. And yeah. then the second is driving their company's online presence. That, that's brought this additional pressure, but they haven't had the resources increased. Yeah, their teams, gotcha. yeah. The size of the team remains the same. Their budgets remain the same, yeah. but they have all of this extra pressure. So that's that's where the main yeah. the main pressure is coming from. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, so it's probably the same. And I mean, I just know marketing departments are increasing their pressure because they're because they are shrinking, um, particularly in Ireland. So, um, just on creative for a second. So, and I said this comes up a lot. You know, the debate about you know the, the understanding that long term investment works, and yet the, the paralysis around you know, the, the short-term, the, the allure of short-term marketing. So you've quoted in your article, the, the, the Bass Institute, which talks about brilliant creative it has a 10 or 20x multiplier effect um, versus average creative, right? So when we think about B2B advertising and the, the standard of effort, I suppose, maybe that goes into the creative for B2B marketing, it doesn't seem to be given a priority as such in terms of the thing. Like when we think about B2C campaigns, there's an awful lot of work goes into the creative and um, how the brand shows up. That's, that can make or break it. And yet the same the same effort doesn't seem to go into B2B campaigns. Now, in the article, you have a lovely way of putting that. You, you kind of say, most B2B marketers assume that people have parked their personalities with their cars when they get to the office. So I kind of love that thought and I totally agree with it. But why why is that the case? Why do you think there's not as much effort put into to creative development for B2B? I could talk about this all day, Dave, to be honest. You know, there's lots of points, um, both from, you know, that I've thought of myself or from listening to other people like, you know, Rory Sutherland or other marketing legends. Um, what I also find interesting about this topic is that until recently, I thought it was a problem faced by the B2B world. But, uh, I, you know, I listened to your podcast with Ray, Ray Shear and recently, you know, it seems to be prevalent, our B2C too. Yeah. But the reasons B2B marketeers and B2B businesses in general don't invest in long-term brand building, and as a result, you know, the creative is typically bad. Um, there isn't much focus put on creative. You know, there's, a, there's lots of reasons, and I, I, I just I touch on a few of them now, and, you know, feel free to kind of jump in as I, as I go. Like, um, like, in no particular order, like, the first is B2B marketeers and B2B businesses uh, live in a world of short-termism, so monthly and quarterly sales targets the hit that marketing have to deliver leads against. I worked in the corporate world for 20 years, and so I know what it's like. 
Um, that's the first thing. You know, B2B marketeers are on a, a lead generation hamster wheel that never ends, and it can be the highest priority. It, there are ex- exceptions, but it's usually the case. The second point would be, and you, you're closer to this than me, but this is this is a sense that I have, is that in B2C, the classically trained marketeer will typically have worked in one of the marketing powerhouses, let's say P&G, Unilever, Coca-Cola, or one of the drinks companies as a, as a brand manager. Even the term brand manager would never would rarely be used in B2B. So a B2C brand manager, they get the importance of brand, the power it has. And also it's likely that most marketeers, when they start out, they think about B2C marketeer, marketing and possibly want to work in Nike or Carlsberg. Uh, I'm not sure many of them want to do marketing for a B2B tech company selling hyper-converged infrastructure. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so the journey of a B2B marketeer can be, can be varied. They can come from sales like myself. My background is B2B sales. They can come from product marketing or events. <clears throat> so brand building may not be the first thing they address in a new role mm. or something that they necessarily think of. Or if they've always been in B2B, that brings its own challenges, which brings me on to my next reason, uh, which, which comes from Rory Sutherland. I saw him speak at a conference in, in London in 2019, and he said, the biggest difference between B2B and B2C marketeers is that B2B marketeers are surrounded by more rational people. And yeah. what he meant by that was accountants, engineers, and developers. And this is so true. You know, the CFO of Coca-Cola probably gets how powerful their brand is. Yeah. Uh, it's very much part of who they are. But I wonder if the same could be said for the CFO of Cisco. Mm. Um, and add to that number of engineers that exist at the top table in B2B tech companies, there's an imbalance of left-brain dominant senior leadership teams. Yeah. Um, and so that makes it hard for the CEO, CMO to get buy-in on brand and creative. Yeah. Um, and also the, the expectations of the senior leadership team in B2B tech companies are around measurable objectives. Right. So the efforts of marketing are typically focused the lowest hanging measurable KPI. Mm. Moving on from that, the power of the brand of B2C is more obvious. Right, so yeah, yeah. Competing yeah. toothpaste and beer brands you know, tend to exist on the same shelves in the supermarket and the decision to buy them is made quickly. Mm. In B2B, however, decisions can take months to make and are made by stakeholder groups. So it's not unreasonable for our brand naive B2B marketeer and our more rational senior leadership team to believe that it's all down to sales. Yeah. But that couldn't be more wrong. If you're an unknown B2B tech company competing with IBM, for example, and the decision has been made by the stakeholder group, most of whom haven't been fully involved in the sales process, you know, they're going to choose IBM. Yeah. Yeah. It makes logical sense as to, to why brands don't. And just to, to kind of pick dive into that a little bit like i'm i'm in um you know obviously we're in the media side of things so when we do i, I have the same problem when we think about b2b campaigns and we get a b2b brief in now there's a, a very crude logic that that i could i nearly believe and but it, it's kind of it goes like this so when we're a relaxed state of mind when we're kind of because we're the same people like i'm the same person in business as i am when as when i'm at home i can be targeted from b2b campaign and a consumer campaign i'm a business person and a consumer but when i'm at home when when your audience is at home in a relaxed state of mind um, the logic would be, well, they're far more open to brand communications. And, and what I mean by that is then by inference that they're, they're less likely to want to be thinking about work. So, so I don't want to be thinking about what I got to do tomorrow and work um, when I'm at home with my family. So it's not a great you know, environment to try and talk to me as it would be to be messages um, because I just don't want to be thinking about, about that. And also then I think when, you, when I think about creative, maybe 
this idea that I'm more relaxed at home. I'm more open to storytelling and, you know, that type of messaging. But when I'm at work, I'm more in functional mode. I got to get stuff done. So I, I'm less interested in storytelling ads. I, I, I need more functional or rational comms. So, but actually you, you make the point that, and you think that this lack of storytelling or engagement in B2B marketing is a big mistake. So just can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and, I, and I know what you mean about the, you know, the, the more functional, functional mindset. But the fact is that, you know, we're human after all. And ultimately, we, we buy things, whether B2B or B2C, because of how they make us feel. Mm. People buy an emotion, not logic. So and we tend to post-rationalize buying decisions, making them seem logical. Um, but they were based on emotions in the first place. And as, Ro- as Rory Sutherland points out in his book, Hacking the Unconscious, feelings are inherited, whereas thinking has to be taught. Um, and this is, you know, it's, all, it's also explained quite well. I'm sure you've heard the term, the lizard brain. So, you know, humans are lazy and our brains like to make quick decisions yeah. without, without having to process too much information. And this is as much the case in B2B as it is, as it is with B2C. And something else, you know, um, which I find interesting, which we might not think that we are emotionally attached to brands in the world of business, um, there was a piece of research carried out by Google and CEB called From uh, Promotion to Emotion, where they analyzed 3,000 buyers from 36 brands across multiple categories. And it examined the role of emotion in the B2B sales process. And it showed that contrary to expectations, a greater proportion of B2B customers are emotionally attached to a brand they bought uh, than they are to B2C brands. And the reason being, if a buyer makes a wrong choice, um, in B2B, the best that could happen is that they waste time and effort. Uh, but the worst that they can that can happen is that is that they lose their job. So, yeah. you know, it can be quite you know a bad decision in B2B. Yeah. And a B2B purchase can be can be catastrophic. The consequences can be f- severe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other thing to bear in mind in relation to this is that the challenge is is the challenge that around B2B um, is that there's there's usually multiple stakeholders involved that make a decision, um, and typically one person or department identifies the need for a B2B purchase or a new technology, let's mm. say, and does all the research. But as it gets nearer to a decision, there will be more stakeholders involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm moving a, li- a little off topic here, but it's a relevant question. It highlights the need for, your, for a B2B brand to be better known to that stakeholder group. Because when it comes to that meeting, uh, where a decision has to be made, and there's kind of one person in the room that knows everything about this particular brand, but it is, if it isn't famous enough, and, it's, you know, and there's a sta- stakeholder group making a decision, I go back to my, my IBM example, you know, a number of people in that room will make that kind of lizard brain, you know, quick decision to say, well, well we're not going with this new guy. Yeah. Let's, go with, let's go with the brand that everybody knows, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's very important in, it, it, I suppose, it's why, why storytelling and creative is so important in B2B. Yeah, and that, and that brand is super important because, you know, particularly when you're talking about tech and things like that, where, you know, you, you may be, you're worried about potential you know, hacking or, or, or cyber crime. So, you know, Microsoft is an easy buy because you already run Microsoft products on, you know, you trust Microsoft. So I can get why, like the importance of that brand is equally, um, if not more important in, in B2B. Now we, we chat about the pandemic. Obviously the pandemic is, is like one those black swan events that like nobody saw coming. It, it affected everybody, every business in some way and every, every person. So it had a huge impact on Irish businesses, but 
looking at your survey, can you tell me how big an impact the pandemic has had on Irish businesses and particularly in B2B marketing budgets? What did they go? I presume they went down. Um, and you talked about the marketing departments. They, they're under a lot of pressure, but specifically budgets. Um, how badly were they impacted? And more importantly, I think, are you seeing or sensing a, a return to confidence? So are budgets going to grow next year? What's the expectation in B2B marketing? In a lot of cases, B2B tech businesses um, are, are flying. So, so they're facilitating remote working, improving you know, cybersecurity for their clients, driving digital transformation. So in general, the demand for B2B tech and digital has grown because of the pandemic. And you know, B2B tech companies are at the forefront of that growth. In relation to budgets, like the survey showed the following, 46% said they had increased, 12% said they decreased, and 40% said the same. Oh, right. Survey said that, you know, the year-on-year -year comparison to 2020, um, it are, in 2020, 62% expected an increase, whereas only 46% expected an increase in 2021. My sense is that B2B companies are seeing digital as a platform for growth. Mm -hmm. um, and from the companies we're talking to, there's definitely a willingness to get that right and to spend to get it right, which is great. So I think from a marketing budget perspective, the companies we're talking to are investing. They're investing in their online, on, online presence and they're open to conversations about, you know, not just jumping into online. It says, well, what do we need to get right first? Mm -hmm. And that kind of opens up conversations about, you know, their brand strategy, their positioning and you know building building the right foundation for them which i thought that's been very good for us over the yeah. over the last six months we're doing a lot of that type of work very good um we're a small country and i do feel like it's and again it's not just b2b it's anybody uh, like irish businesses are under i do feel sorry for irish business because they're under a huge amount of pressure to deliver world-class you mentioned this earlier on world-class digital services so you know i know when we talk to consumers we're now in in the expectation economy. Consumers are ruthlessly unforgiving of poor service, poor UX. And what happens, what we've seen happen is you're benchmarked, your service is benchmarked against best in class. Not It could be outside your category, it could be outside your geographical region. So if I have a really good UX with my phone provider that or, or my TV provider, that that sets the expectation for all other categories, whether, whether not just directly in that competing set. So when we think about retail, for example, my experience on Amazon is that I'll get free free postage, free returns, next day delivery. Um, and so when I go and shop in an Irish retailer, that's the benchmark. That's what I expect. And that and that, that's really, really difficult. So are Irish businesses feeling the, the, the kind of the pain or the pressure of an unforgiving consumer in a digital world? Is that happening? I think in B2C, this is very true. Um, I personally know one retailer whose online channel is flying and where, you know, where this is a positive thing. From talking to him, you know, there's a lot of work happening happening in the background for them to adapt, you know, to balance their traditional high street business with the demands of this new digital channel that that's you know driving so much demand. Personally, I've had some very good experiences with Irish Irish brands delivering online lately. Ones that spring to mind would be you know lifestyle sports, mm. uh, you know, have a good buying online online buying experience and deliver the next day. In B2B, it's different. You know, the pressure is there, but for different reasons. Uh, B2B businesses know more than ever that their online presence is ex extremely important. And 70, as I said, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a stat that says 70% of the buyer journey is online. And this has been the case, but I think COVID has magnified this. Mm. And businesses, so businesses who ignored this or were happy selling in the traditional way, 
which was face-to-face. I've had to up their online game. And, you know, going back to that 70% stat, the 70% of buyer research happening online, they, B2B companies are realizing that they need to outperform their competitors yeah. in this respect. So, so from a B2B perspective, that's where the pressure comes on. You know, it's giving their potential buyers or existing customers that first class experience that online. So, you know, mm-hmm. it means looking at everything from their brand strategy and how that manifests itself in online channels in addition to a great website mm-hmm. and UX to capture leads and support the sales team with content online chatbots webinars and other online events you know Mm, yeah um like we touched on it earlier on slightly the short term and we get it with business cycles and that's what the b2b part like sales it's all about sales under pressure to deliver sales so you know that makes you probably very risk averse i think as a marketer so do you think the current environment where you know you talked about the consequence of a bad decision could be you get you get fired but does that mean that like, can you understand then, is that making that Irish B2B marketers very, very risk averse? So, you know, why would they, why would you take a chance and put your neck in the chopping block and do something different? Because as you say, you could end up being fired. Is that a concern for, for B2B marketers in Ireland at the moment that they're just afraid to take a risk in the current environment? Yeah, I, I think it is. And I don't know, not even the current environment, because it's not as mm. if they were, you know, trying to score overhead kicks from outside the box before yeah. the pandemic, you know? So, um, I think it's an interesting question, and and you know I, I keep I keep referencing Rory Sutherland. I'm going to have to get copyrights on him, but uh, I think his quotes are great. But he says it's easier to defend a logical decision uh, if things go pear shaped, you know. Yeah. And um, and B two B marketeers in particular, you know, have always worshipped at the altar of logic as the rational approach is easier to defend, and the most logical solutions are the ones with the shortest route to the lowest hanging KPI. Mm. But something to bear in mind in B2B sales is that typically, unless you're selling paperclips, a very small percentage of the market are in market right now. And these prospects are actively looking, and that is where rational lead gen campaigns will work. Mm. But for the greater percentage of your market, the ones that will be buying in buying mode in 6, 12, 18, and 24 months from now, they're the ones that you need to communicate with in a memorable way, where memorable brand advertising is going to pay off. Yeah. The other thing to bear in mind is that is that everyone can do can do lead generation, yeah. pay per click, SEO, marketing automation, email send, social media. Like we all have the same lever, levers to pull, so we're all hunting in the same place for the same prospects with the same tools. Mm. The only thing we have to differentiate us is our brand. Mm. It's and it's the biggest lever ha- we have to pull. Yeah. So if, so if you think about it as a B two B marketeer. There's actually never been a better time to take risks, be bold, be creative, be human, emotional, yeah. raise, a smo- raise a smile or invoke fear for the very reason that nobody else is doing it. I accept all that. But thinking about, so if anyone is listening right now and they're in the B2B space and they're agreeing with all those points and they're saying, you know what, I'm going to try and do something differently. How do they go about changing things in their organization? Like, how do they get, you know, because they're, they're surrounded maybe by left brain people. So what advice, how, how, do, how does anyone listening in marketing say, I'm going to start to affect some change internally. What advice yeah. could you give them? Yeah, it's a really good question. So um, there's two types of company I'll address here. You know, first and foremost, like ideally, they need to take a step back and see where they are as a business from a marketing perspective. So some will work, some B2B marketeers will work for brands where they are well down the road, uh, you know, where they have a brand strategy, a good online presence, their segmentation, targeting and positioning is done. Um, and they're, you know, they're on the lead generation treadmill. 
And in that case, it's about briefing a good creative B2B agency to come up with memorable creative campaigns while also continuing the lead gen activity. Ideally, lead gen uh, campaign would hang off or be related to the creative campaign. Um, For most B2B businesses, however, and most businesses we speak to fall into this category, they haven't built the foundations. Um, They haven't done the segment. Or, you know, segmentation and targeting is reasonably straightforward in B2B. It's usually quite obvious. But where they tend to fall down is on their positioning strategy, which then forms the foundation for everything. As you know, you know, the brand, online presence, campaigns, Mm. etc. So in our experience from companies, they usually fall into the the, the second category. But going back to your question, how do they affect change and how do they get buy-in from their SLT? It is a challenge. And believe it or not, like some CEOs, even in B2B tech, left brain and all as they might be, they still light up yeah. when they see a really good campaign. Yeah. You know, they love the idea of putting themselves out there. Yeah. Um, and and they, they, they may not articulate it as brand building, but they get it. Like they'll yeah. reference Apple or IBM yeah, yeah. Uh, or mention an ad that they liked recently. Um, but I think B2B marketeers need to find a way to sell creativity to them. And, and I think this is the way to, to get it, you know, to sell to these left-brain people mm. and go back to the point I made earlier on is that, you know, we're all human and we're marketeers after all. So we should be able to sell to our senior leadership team. So use some of our lizard brain knowledge here and appeal to their emotions. Like what do they fear? What are their business aspirations? What story do they want to be part of? And use that as a way to sell brand building and bold creative to them. They certainly don't want to be beaten by their competition. Mm. You know, and if, if, like I remember um, we pitched an idea to an existing client and their CEO was in the room and their marketing director and they were you know they were really impressed with the with the creative that we showed them and when one of the comments from their ceo was jesus imagine what the competition will say what the competition will say when they see this you know and it really really resonated with me you know and um and and really resonated with them but that's just that comment and then finally on this point it would be it's it's important to tie it back to business results. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, make sure you sell. But beach marketers need to sell it in as a long term play. You know, yeah. it's a three to five year. You know, brand building is a three to five year play, and that it affect and and that it, it affects more than just leads. This I think this is this kind of tying things back to leads can be damaging. That, yeah. that you know, there's loads more advantages to building your brand than just generating leads. So. Yeah, it generates leads, but like you know, there's other things you can charge more. You'll hire better people, yeah. and people people will kind of you know your market will say, oh, these guys are doing something interesting. Yeah, um, I just want you know they just want they'll just want to talk to you. Um, like I've worked for famous brands in the past and not so famous brands, and it's much easier to pick up the phone and say, hi, it's Ian Blake from Vodafone, yeah. than it is to say, you know, yeah, I'm Ian Blake yeah. from somewhere else. And the people, you know, they just they just want to know what you have to say. So that's how I. Rec- mm. advise you know beachy marketeers sell this into into their senior leadership teams yeah yeah it makes sense and like we've we've probably covered enough about like we know that there is a problem that we tend to think um b2b campaigns are treated slightly differently than, than b2c campaigns but can you give me some examples because you, you mentioned talked about creative and we know creative is important but examples of, of b2b campaigns where you think they did it right they did something different they engage in storytelling they engage in kind of more emotive brand comms any examples that you've seen that you know for listeners say oh that, that's what we mean when we're talking about doing things slightly differently yeah yeah um the most famous ones 
that are mentioned regularly at events. There's, there's two that are always wheeled out. There's one is an ad by Volvo with John Claude Van Damme called The Epic Splits and another one by State Street called uh, It's the Fearless Girl on Wall Street that was done as part of an in- initiative to encourage corporations to put women on their boards. And of course, there's IBM's famous nobody ever got fired for, for IBM. But the fact that these campaign examples are rolled out regularly is evidence in itself that, that there is a lack of creativity in, in B2B because, mm. you know, I've heard them so many times. But there's a brilliant example of, of a campaign that was launched recently by a company called ServiceNow. And, and ServiceNow, like four years ago, was a $30 billion software company that hardly anyone outside the uh, outside the IT department knew about. Mm. And they were making a great part product and helping workflow um, more smoothly for millions of users, but they weren't telling the story effectively to the world. So they decided to rebrand um, and it's having a massive impact. And what they did was, or you know, the strategy and design teams at ServiceNow worked to and, and uncovered uh, a powerful truth, which was when a third of your work life, uh, your life is spent at work. Work experience really mattered, um, but tech experiences in work weren't great compared mm. to Uber or Airbnb, for example, or your example of of Amazon, you know, mm. and the pressure that that's putting on, you know, retailers in Ireland. So it was taking that example, saying, you know, outside of work people's experiences of, of apps and tech is really good, but when they go to work, it can be, it can be bad. Yeah. So ServiceNow is doing more than just making great software. The, the, the campaign was, you know, we're doing more than making great software. They're making the world of work work better right. for people. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, so the, you know, the insight was we, we put up with terrible experiences at work, but now they make uh, the world of work work better right people, yeah yeah you know yeah. and the campaigns are fantastic yeah the message is carried through their website but where the brand really comes to life is in a series of videos uh, which they've done which are really really funny um, right. and especially the return to work ones they they really capitalized on the pandemic and have some really humorous ones of you know people working from home the boss keeping keeping their, <laughs> their eye on them and I, I really encourage your listeners to have a look at their their youtube channel they're I'm all gonna, there i'm gonna check you know, them out myself they sound great i'm gonna check them out myself really because good. Yeah, I mean, and it's like anything else. It sounds it sounds really obvious when we go, because I, I agree, B2B campaigns are quite rational. And I know why they are, because we think, as we talked about, people are in, in functional mode and they don't have time and they don't want to be entertained. So when you go out and you do something quite differently, it it stands out to be to do something that makes people smile in a, in a category of business. It's refreshing and I think that's going to work. So it sounds really obvious. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your B2B report that you do. So uh, for anyone listening, can you just can you just give me like a quick overview of what it is, how long you've been doing it, um, and how many companies are involved, and what the purpose of it is, just before we get into some of the findings. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this this is something we've partnered with the Marketing Institute on, um, and it's our third year that we've done it. Um, um, we typically, well, the, the, the numbers have increased every year. This year, we sur- surveyed over a hundred of Ireland's B two B marketeers to get a sense of what's happening in B2B marketing in Ireland, what their challenges are, what the trends are, and how they compare um, to each other and their peers in other countries. And we also, you know, the longer we do it, the more references we have to previous years. Before the pandemic, we ran an event to launch the survey. So the 2020 survey in January, we we had an event to, to launch it, and we were blown away by the turnout. <clears throat> um, and the feedback we got was really positive. Um, the B2B mar- Irish B2B marketers that turned up at that event said that they were that the B2B marketing community in Ireland were underserved and that we should do more 
of this type of thing. So that gave us a lot of encouragement to keep this going so that, you know, we continued to do so and did it in 2021. And, and the 2021 survey was great because we could, you know, put questions in about the, the pandemic. Mm. It's also a really, it's really good for growing our own brand and providing yeah. value for our audience. And then there's one, there's something else we do is that we, we typically share the results of the survey with some of Ireland's le- leading B2B marketeers. And this year they were David McHale of Travelport, Colin Lewis of Openjaw, Technology and who's also a marketing week columnist, uh, Ray Coppinger of Slack and Trish Butler from Compliance and Risk. So, you know, we give them the survey results mm. and then we interview them to see if their experiences are similar to what's coming out in the survey and get their sense yeah. and uh, their view on it as well. So that's how we typically um, do the survey. Yeah. And there's loads of stuff in it. First of all, I, I love when there's specific Irish research and study done because I don't think there's enough of that done. So it's great to get some insight into what's going on in B2B and to have some real numbers behind it. So just want to un- unpack a couple of things that are in there. Like Marketing 101, know your audience, know your customer. And yet your report highlighted that how few companies are actually using segmentation or or how few B2B marketers are, are really doing things to engage these niche, disproportionately important niche audiences and communities. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and maybe why why is that going on? Because it sounds obvious. So why why is it not happening more than it is at the moment? The biggest thing for us in what you're talking about, knowing your customers, was the lack of persona research. Like 66% said they hadn't conducted in-depth persona research and 58% are not mapping customer journeys, which is really important in mm. B2B, you know, um, the journey that, you know, customer goes on to before they make a purchase. And, you know, why is that? I think probably Mark Ritson refers to um, a lot of his market orientation. He makes the point that the minute you enter a company, you very quickly lose your market orientation, meaning you see things from the company's perspective very quickly and not the markets. And mm-hmm. I think that's why it's so important to do it. I, I think they just get caught up in other stuff. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's one of those it's one of those things that, that's important but not urgent. So it just ends up being put on the back burner. You know, we were even onto a client the other day that we did persona research for, you know, four or five years ago and they were referring to how valuable a piece of work that it was, but mm-hmm. you know, they haven't they haven't reviewed it. Mm-hmm. But then also and the survey showed segmentation and niche audiences. So the, sh- the survey showed that the most popular tactic is to underpin brand advertising with targeted sales activations. And encouragingly, 35% said they use micro-segmentation targeting right. highly sp- specific groups of personalized messages and offers. That was good, but segmentation doesn't just mean f- finding the right person in the organization to sell to. It's about understanding how the various fun- factions in that company perceive your business and how they come together to talk about you when you're not in the room. So, mm. you know, hyper targeting is good to get to the people who are driving the research or the or, or the you know would be the main decision maker. But you could really one of the pieces of advice we give companies is that you need to broaden your marketing so you make sure you get you get in front of that incomplete yeah. stakeholder group. You know. Yeah. Another thing that, again, there's lots in it. We, we, you can tell people where to find it later on, but like, but we see it all the time. I see it in, in B2C as well. We're increasingly seeing data to use it to drive marketing, which is great. Only only 16% of B, uh, B2B marketers are, are admitting to relying on a hunch, which is good because I think last year, in the report I saw last year, that was 31%. So it seems to be that B2B marketers are getting far more competent and using data much more in analytics. So is that true? Are we seeing, are we seeing an increase in B2B marketing around automation, AI, technology, and data-driven marketing? Is that on on the increase? 
It's, no, it is. It is for sure. And the numbers and the numbers say that, you know, both increase in the use of data and increase in the use of marketing automation. I think automation is great if it's used properly. It's good for automating repetitive tasks and things like lead nurturing and measuring the effectiveness of your campaigns is important. But I think I think people need to also not be paralyzed by data. Um, and I think it can pull people away. It's, it's one of the reasons they get pulled away from creative. So things like creative and the impact over long term can be hard to measure. And um, so my advice would be to focus on the quality of, of your creative and make sure the messaging is right and use the automation to re- remove repetitive tasks yeah. and not be a slave to the data, you yeah. know, because otherwise you'll just be making changes every time there's a change in, in the number of email opens or, yeah. you know, you'll sweat over the fact that your last social media post didn't get as many likes as the, as the one before yeah. that. You know, you really need to put their time and effort and in, into creative campaigns and brand building. Yeah, and, and they, look, I know, we know ourselves, that it takes a while. Data aggregates over time. There's no point in looking at, like, we have, we have had clients that are looking at, you know, campaign reports daily and then getting into tweaking things. It, you, you can't look at stuff hour by hour or day by day and start to make changes. You just you know, drive yourself mad. There's no point in doing it. Another thing in the report, which I, th- I thought was really interesting, was the fact that a lot of B2B marketeers, they don't see themselves as being very differentiated. So we know in advertising and marketing, differentiation is one of the classic rules of marketing. So it's worrying that that they don't see themselves as being very different from competitors. So is that just an anomaly of B2B business because, or, you know, companies, because in that SaaS space that it's very cluttered and it's hard to differentiate. Is that, is that worrying for you that they don't see themselves as differentiated or what's going on there? For us, it's an opportunity so mm. that it, because it's a, it's a service that we provide, but um, it's an opportunity for the companies as well who do differentiate themselves. Yeah. So the survey itself, the biggest contradictory stat is that 71% of them have done positioning strategy yet only 35% of themselves, mm. you know, consider them completely differentiated from the competition. And I think there's a tendency in B2B for for them to think that differentiation is about their product, mm. um, that they have this bell or this whistle and the competition don't, which, as you know, that's not how we would talk about differentiation. Mm. You know, it's we would talk about it in how they show up in the market, yeah, yeah. that they look different, they sound different, they're interesting, they stand for something. And that's something that, you know, when we talk to prospective customers and when, when they when they buy our positioning strategy services from us, they completely buy into it and they get it almost. The, the veil starts to lift as they go through the positioning strategy process with us. They, they see it, you know, the minute that manifests itself in their new brand and their new website, et cetera, you know, the, the results speak for themselves. Yeah. One of our bigger clients Recently, they're a, they're a massive travel tech company, and they rebranded. They they took the view that they looked exactly the same as their competitors, and since the rebrand and the messaging they're putting out there, they're getting inquiries from prospects saying things like, "You guys look like you're doing interesting things." Like mm. that—that's just what the prospects are saying. Mm. You know, just because they look different, yeah, and, and they're and they're saying different things on social. That is completely different to what the market is doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's in, for, in the first six months of the rebrand. And their marketing director, you know, I posted something on social recently, which was kind of, you know, um, educating, you know, our audience on the importance of this. And he kind of, you know, glibly came on and said, "What are you, you know, what are you doing this? You're letting you're letting the cat out of the bag, so yeah. to speak." You know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but it's you know, it's interesting to hear their to hear their story and. And just, you know, the the, the, re- the good things that are happening just mm-hmm. because they look different. Yeah. Um, so, they, but, you know, in the B2B world, I think there's a job to be done 
for for B2B businesses and leaders and marketeers of those business to, yeah. to, to understand and to get how important it is to it is to be different, you know, and not different for, for different states' sake. So, yeah. you know, different in a, in, a, in a meaningful way to their audience, you know. Yeah, and it, and it goes back to, I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about. Quite often products, services, you know, things are not that different, but where you can be different is how you talk about them, how you engage people. So marketing is the opportunity to create that difference, um, even if, if the products are not that different. That's that's what marketing always did. So um, tell me a little bit about your business. So what your company does, what services you offer, type of clients that you have for anyone listening. To what what? Give me the, the elevator pitch. I said, right, give me your two-minute pitch. What are you guys all about? What do you do? Uh, we're a pure play B2B marketing agency. Um, we serve the B2B tech sector. So if Heineken or Coca-Cola called us in the morning, we'd be flattered, but we wouldn't take on the work. However, if IBM, Salesforce.com, or ServiceNow called us, we'd all be doing somersaults in the office. We believe that B2B tech companies grow faster when they're famous for the right reasons in the right circles. And we help them do that by helping them define a clear positioning strategy, brand identity, and then bring that to life online. We design and develop B2B websites and create memorable B2B campaigns and promote them using tools like HubSpot, ultimately to deliver growth for our clients. And you're in, so position statements and, and finding that position statement for companies. But also, are you creative, B2B creative? Yes. Deve- okay, we, all right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. We're, we're nearly out of time. We're nearly wrapping up. But um, on the report, we, and we've literally, like, we've only, there's, there's some really uh, great figures in the article, and we've talked a little bit about it here, but there's quite a lot in that report. Um, so can you tell people where that report is available for anyone listening? Where can they find it? Where can they read it? Is it, is it available, publicly available to download? It is indeed, yeah, yeah. So um, it's on our website. So our website is square.agency. The report is there. If they go onto my LinkedIn feed, we are sharing stats and insights from it on an ongoing basis. And if they click on any of those, they'll be brought to a link to download the survey. Um, and if anyone wants to contact me via email, my email is ian at square.agency. Okay, excellent. So that's where people can get in touch if they're listening and they say, I need to freshen up my B2B marketing. They can give you a shout and get in touch with you. Um, okay, that was great. Uh, yeah, thanks so much, Ian, for joining me today and chatting about that because I haven't talked about B2B specifically before. Um, so it was it was great. Um, it was great to get a bit more understanding on my side and that. So yeah, thanks a million for joining me, Ian. Pleasure, Dave. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks. That's it. We are all out of time. So big thank you also to Andrea on sound and Kira in marketing. And as always, thanks to our partners in Irish Times Media Solutions. If you like this episode, then follow us, tell your colleagues and listen back to some of the other great episodes. You'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. Until next time, stay safe. The Inside Marketing Podcast brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. 